0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. At the time of exile, the Babylonian exile, Jeremiah took the ark, he took the tent, he took the ark, and he took the altar, and he hid it, and it got sealed in a mountain in 2 Maccabees 2. So at the time of Jesus, the priests don't care that there's no ark. The priesthood was mostly corrupt and in cahoots with King Herod and the Roman Empire, the land beast and the sea beast from Revelation. Their goal is to trap Jesus, to ensnare him, and to have him executed. They don't care about the true presence of God in the temple. They care about their status quo and looking out for number one and keeping this establishment as is and keeping their power. There was a great corruption in the priesthood. Does that surprise you? (laughs) It shouldn't, because there's nothing new under the sun. The true presence of God, Jesus, and the Ark of the Covenant, Mary, walk back into the temple one day. And the true presence of God is back in the temple. And Simeon is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he knows it. And Mary, the Ark of the Covenant, the spouse, the Holy Spirit is there. And Simeon is there, and the Holy Spirit is there. And the true presence of God is baby Jesus, and he's back in the temple. The Ark of the Covenant has been found. It's Mary. To Maccabees 2, when will the Ark return? It says the place shall be unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. She's the mother of mercy, our life. And then the Lord will disclose these things and the glory of the Lord in the cloud will appear. That's the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Lord in the cloud, the Shekinah glory, because the true presence of God is back in the temple. Simeon knows it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Mary knows it. The father has shown the face of his mercy in this baby. And Simeon says, I can die now. The ark was the holiest object under the old covenant. It had the tablets of the law, the staff of Aaron, the first high priest, and the man of the bread of life that sustained the Israelites for 40 years And that's what she has, the Holy Spirit, the law of love, the new law of love, the final high priest, the new priesthood in the order of Melchizedek and the bread of life in her arms. And she's the ark. The ark was God's earthly throne. The Lord was said to sit enthroned upon the cherubim on top of the ark. It's called the mercy seat. Mary is the mercy seat of God's wisdom. And Jesus is wisdom himself. And wisdom comes through Mary. Mary, our mother, the ark wants to help us get to heaven. She wants to part the waters in our life that keep us from crossing, that get us home safe to the promised land. They would take that ark. They took it around Jericho. Seven times they processed with that ark and the city walls collapsed. Mary, the ark, she wants to help us avoid danger in our life. She wants to help break down walls that keep us from inhabiting God's promised land, the eternal kingdom of heaven. Mary cooperates for our salvation against the enemy in his temporal kingdom. This is not lasting. His is eternal. Mary is the queen mother of a new and eternal kingdom, and every kingdom has a queen mother. She's the new queen of a new creation and the mother of all the living. That's what Eve's name was supposed to be, but Mary's children are truly alive Eve's were spiritually dead. And every kingdom has a queen mother that can bend the king's ear, as Solomon did to Bathsheba, intercessory power of the queen mother in a new kingdom is Mary. The king said to her, make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So thy kingdom come. This is a new kingdom. Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom. And then the prayer says, give us each day our daily bread. Each day, our daily bread. There's two types of bread we need, physical bread, and spiritual bread. And he gives them both to us. We can go to mass once a day and receive daily bread, spiritual, and you eat your, your physical bread. Just like he gave them daily bread in the desert. Each day, our daily bread, they had to pick up manna. It was fine, flake-like thing, like hoarfrost on the ground. What is it? The people said. It's the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Free bread. Free bread was falling from the sky for fallen mankind, but they still had to labor for it. It was free, but they had to work for it every day. They had to go pick up the manna every single day, gather it every day, every day. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Leave none of it behind till morning, the Lord said. Some people tried to hoard some and leave, and it got full of worms and foul smelling. When the sun would grow hot, it would melt. On the sixth day, they were told to gather twice as much. And this time it didn't get warming or melt because they were saving it for Sabbath. So they would not have to labor on the Lord's day when the Lord told them to rest. You can bake it, boil it, whatever you want. It was manna, and it was like coriander seed, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. Give us this day our daily bread, and the people of Israel ate that manna for 40 years. Every meal for 40 years, working for bread, picking it up, picking it up, picking it up, picking it up, boiling it, baking it, whatever they did. So Jesus, the new Moses, is going to give a new kind of bread, a daily bread. Your father's ate man in the wilderness. It's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. But Jesus said, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Lord, give us this bread always. It's a bread they don't have to work for. It's a free bread that you don't have to labor for. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He was born in a town called Bethlehem. It means the house of bread. He was laid in a feeding trough for beasts. We were still beasts until we were redeemed. We were made on the same day. Although we had a soul, the breath of God breathed into us. It's a different kind of heavenly bread. He said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But this bread, which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Remember Jacob had a dream that God would come down and go back up. God has come down as bread for the world and he'll go back up in the ascension. The bread which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now Adam was not cursed, but the ground of the earth was cursed when Adam fell. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. In toil you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field, and the sweat of your face shall you eat bread. Now it's harder. Fallen man has to work for bread. It's not free. There's thorns and thistles. It's going to be harder. But there are two Adams, and it's only seen in the light of Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus becomes the second Adam. The first creation makes sense only in light of the new creation in Christ. So Jesus becomes the last Adam. And if we compare the first son of the first creation and the first son of the new creation, we see they both had free will. One had alienation, the other brought salvation. Both were tempted. One disobeys the Father. The other obeys the Father in all things. Perfect obedience. One was sinful. One was sinless. One Adam disobeyed the Father. The other always obeys the Father. One faces death. The other eternal life only. He conquers death. One is expelled from paradise. One is with God in paradise. One is decayed to dust. The other has a glorified body. One has lack of trust in God. The other has total trust in God. So Jesus has rewritten the scale for justice for all humanity. Jesus, the second Adam, the final Adam, the firstborn son of a new creation. Adam ate from the tree of death. It was the fruit of death. Jesus is the tree of life all the way, only life, fruit of life, eternal life. And Jesus cancels the curse for all humanity for all time. And they knew that if anyone committed a crime punishable by death, he would be put to death. Hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. But Jesus breaks the curse. He's hung on a tree, but he's totally innocent. The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Son of Man also is the Son of God. He's dual-natured, and he gives himself as a ransom for all people. Isaiah says, why do you spend your money for what is not bread? Why do you labor for what does not satisfy? I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Isaiah foretells it. Each day, daily bread. We're back to free bread at mass. Why do you pay for that which does not satisfy? Come and take the free bread of life and you will never die. Why don't you do it? The fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer is to forgive us our sins. Now, he gives us a perfection of seven sacraments in his kingdom, the church. And in John 20, 23, he tells this new priesthood of the ten, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And it's a new priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, and the priest sets in person of Christ, and it's Christ who forgives the sin (laughs) but is in this sacrament of grace and healing called reconciliation. And it's his greatest gift for us. That part's easy, forgive us our sins. He does, that's what confession's for. Sometimes it's the hardest to forgive yourself, Uh, but God is bigger than our doubts. God can forgive us of anything if we come to him the way he prescribed and ask for forgiveness. This part's harder, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Really, do you? For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Let it go. Let it go. Anyone who's indebted to you, let it go. I looked up forgive. To stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. Do you feel angry or resentful towards anyone in your life for a mistake they've made towards you? Some synonyms to pardon them, excuse them, exonerate them, absolve them, make allowances, feel no resentment toward them. Is there someone that you mm, love to resent? Because they did that to you. Harbor no grudge against them. Feel no malice towards them. That's what forgiveness is. That's hard. Desiring to bury the hatchet. Oh yeah, I'd like to bury the hatchet, all right. To let them off the hook, are you kidding me? Let bygones be bygones? Bye-bye now, writing you off. Hasta la vista, baby. Goodbye. Jesus knew this was going to be hard, and that's why his last words to us are, in Luke's gospel only, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is hard. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and as you pray to our Father to really mean that, or try to mean it. And lead us not into temptation, the last thing. God does not lead us into temptation. There's a little difference with the Greek language here. James tells us, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So lead us not into temptation. We're not saying, God, lead us not into temptation. We're saying, let us not be led into temptation. How do we persevere in prayer? How do we keep going? How do we keep doing it? Perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty. So if you have a difficult time sticking with prayer, Jesus is telling us in Luke 11 to persevere. Synonyms for perseverance, persist, tenacity, determination, staying power, indefatigability, steadfastness, all those, stick to it Jesus said to them, which of you has a friend who lets him go out at midnight and says to him, friend, let me three loaves of bread. For my, a friend of mine has arrived on a journey I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door's shut now. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, his persistent plea, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. If you keep at it and keep at it and keep at it and keep at it, you might get some results, right? You know how your kids can wear you down. Jesus says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Wow, that's a fantastic promise. We can get anything we want, right? Ask, seek, knock, anything. Ask, and it will be given to you. Any, Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. That's God's promise. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, gives him a serpent? What father among you, if your son asks for an egg, you give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, this is hyperbole, if you people who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, to your children, then how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit, that's not what we ask for. (laughs) We got to pray in line with God's will. What's that mean? This is a Lycan Hypersport by W Motors. It's produced in the United Arab Emirates. They only made seven of this car. The cost is $3,828,192. And what if you say, Lord, I would really like one of those. I would really like that car. Please, please, God. It says in your word, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks the door will be open. Please, Lord God, give me a Lycan Hypersport right now. Will you get it? No. Because you're not praying in line with the will of God. The Father's final gift, the Father's most perfect gift, the best gift that He wants to give us is the Holy Spirit. Oh, how much of that He would give to those who ask. He would like to flood us with it. Every day He'd like to stir it up in you. Every day He'd like to flood you with it and have you go out and use it in boldness and courage for His kingdom. We don't want that. We wanted the car. You know, I wanted my 97-year-old grandma free of cancer. We got to remember he is coming to establish a kingdom. He has already. It was in this time of Luke. It's between good and evil. God is good and only good. Remember when the rich young man asked Jesus, he said, good teacher, what could I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. I always thought that was kind of strange answer. Only God is good. James says that every good endowment and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And he's telling us here that what the Heavenly Father wants to give those who ask in abundance is his Holy Spirit. It's the best gift the Father can possibly give us. We thought Jesus was the best gift. We thought when he became incarnate flesh, we thought that was the very best gift the Father could give. But the Holy Spirit is even better because it's an absolute perfection of the union of the Father and Son's love. And it flows out as a whole new person. A whole new person of the Trinity is the love of the Father and the Son in perfect perfection. So you see how the Father and Jesus are one in all things. And they are for each other. And they love each other beyond all things. Whatever the Father says, Jesus does in perfect obedience. And their love is so perfect and so pure. And the outcome of their perfect love and the perfect job Jesus did is this invent of a whole new person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit that the Father wants to lavish on us and he wants to fill you with it. And he wants to take your body that's a temple and just... The Father's final gift for the final age of salvation history is the Holy Spirit. He's unleashed it on us for this final age. This time we're in, the good, good Father has poured out His divine mercy through His only begotten Son. The Son has been perfectly obedient to the Father, the Good Father, and every single thing out of sheer love for the goodness of the Father. And the perfection of their perfect love, the final gift that's left to indwell humanity is the Holy Spirit. It's the Father's greatest, 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 greatest gift. And we say, oh, is that all? Is that all you got? It's everything. It's everything. God the Creator, Christ the Redeemer, the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier. And unless we are sanctified, we can't make it to heaven. Sanctified is to be made holy and set apart. If we aren't sanctified, we won't see the Father and the Son. (laughs) Nothing impure will enter the heavenly Jerusalem. We have to be sanctified, and that's the work of the Spirit. Our flesh can't do it. We, we try to live by the flesh in this world, but we need to live by the Spirit in His kingdom. And He's given us that. He's equipped us with that. And we say, eh, I'd rather have the car. Jesus answered them all. I baptize you with water, but He was mightier than I coming. Jesus, the thong of whose sandals I'm not worthy and tie. He, Jesus, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's the best. You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm nothing, says John. I can't even do the sandal. He's something. And then, whoo, what he's going to baptize you with? The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus, he, the Holy Spirit, is going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I, Jesus, have said. We would never, ever be able to understand that Bible at all without the Holy Spirit guiding us and illuminating our minds. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift the Father wants to give us. It's a gift. The gift, the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit. It's his greatest, greatest gift. Jesus gave it to the woman at the well, early, kind of, in the living water. He said, if you knew the gift, if you knew the gift of God, and who's saying to you that that I could give you a drink, he, he would have given you living, What watered the tree of life in the garden, the river of life. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the living water. The water that I give, you'll never thirst. The water is going to become a spring, a fountain flowing within you. And she says, oh, sir, sir, give me this water. Give me the gift. That's all you got to do. Ask for it. Give me the gift. Boom. She leaves her jar and runs and evangelizes the whole Samaritan village. It's powerful. She asks, ask and you will receive the father's gift ask we don't ask i want the sport car they were all filled with the holy spirit and they spoke the word of god with boldness it's one of the gifts of the holy spirit so the holy spirit whom god has given a gift to those who obey him the holy spirit is the gift that the all good god wants to lavish on his children the holy spirit is the gift that makes us understand all about jesus and everything he said and make it all make sense no one can say jesus is lord except by the holy spirit He's the one who illuminates our mind to even know he's Lord, Master, King. The Holy Spirit is the perfect gift from God. And there's a perfection of gifts that come from him. Seven, of course, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord, which is that awesomeness. Why don't we want this amazing gift? Why are our parishes dead? Why are the parking lots empty? Why are people dying on the vine? Why don't they want this gift? Do they not know about it? You guys are here, you want it. We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given them to those who what? Oh, we got to obey. That's the problem. That's always the problem. We hear it all, it sounds so good, but then we got to do it, live it, obey it. We don't want to obey. No, Uh -uh. because we're certainly disobedient children. We hear, 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 we don't obey. It's one word in the Hebrew. We kind of like this kingdom. It's kind of nice. Very comfortable. This kingdom has quite a bit to offer, really. Honestly, (laughs) it does. There's a lot of creature comforts, a lot of autonomy. I don't have to listen to anybody. I can be my own king of my own kingdom. That's the number one lie of Satan. You can be your own God. Other people hear and obey. They seem to like it. They're obedient children. They delight in taking directions and they aim to please and they like to hear and obey in one fell swoop in one action. They're in right relationship. They like it. And guess what? They're happy. That's where beatification comes from obeying the word of the Lord. Lord, I love your commands, says the psalmist. So which kingdom do you want? What's it going to be? Hear only or hear and obey and be lavished with the father's greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. When you have an obedient child, what do you want to do to them? Honey, let's go to Derek, Queen. he's so cute. You picked up all your duplos. The absolute best gift that the father has to give his children is the perfection of the love between he and Jesus and their oneness and their love. And it's the perfection of their love, the father and the son, and it's full of healing power and it's powerful. And it lives in you, and it heals you from inside out. It's the Holy Spirit of the living God. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was dumb. And the demon had gone out, and the dumb man spoke, and the people were marveled. Some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test him sought from heaven a sign from heaven. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts because he can read hearts, He said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and the house falls upon house. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For I say to you that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, there were 10 plagues that Moses had to contend with. And the magicians could keep up on the first one. Yeah, 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 we can turn water to blood. Yeah, we can make frogs happen. Yeah, we got those tadpole things. Oh, gnats, gnats, you can make gnats? No, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. That must be by the finger of God. The other time, the finger of God wrote the 10 commandments. In the Old Testament, the absolute finger of God wrote the commandments. They were written by the finger of God and given to Moses. And that's why the phrase came about, written in stone. Because God's love for you is written in stone. And it's his commands that make you happy. If you obey and follow his commands, you have beatitude. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are at peace. But when a stronger one moves in, assails him, overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted. He divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is saying, I'm stronger. I'm stronger than Satan. My kingdom's stronger than Satan. He's going to be vanquished at the foot of the cross. His head's going to be crushed. And he talks about an unclean spirit that goes out of a man and goes through a waterless place seeking rest, finding none. He says, I'm going to return back to that house where I came from. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and he brings seven other spirits more evil than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. The message of that is don't stay neutral. If Jesus sweeps your house clean, don't stay neutral. Jesus doesn't like neutral. He doesn't like neutral. The definition, not helping or supporting either side. He wants you to make a decision. Which kingdom are you in? Which king do you serve? He knows it's a choice, and he doesn't like indecision and neutrality. He doesn't like straddling the fence. He doesn't like looking at this option and then wait if something better comes along. That's what our kids do on Friday night. Don't wait too long because it can be fatal. Don't wait too long to decide which kingdom you're going to live in. Remember when Elijah battled the baal the 400 priests of baal with jezebel and he wins his god is victorious his god consumes the sacrifice and elijah says how long will you hesitate between two opinions it's the lord god follow him but if it's baal then follow him and the people did not answer him a word they wouldn't pick a side they stayed neutral here's some other translations How long will you not decide between two choices? How long are you going to be paralyzed by indecision? How long is it going to take you to make up your minds? How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you limp between two choices? How long is it going to take? God's side or man's side? God's kingdom or a worldly kingdom? The line is in the sand. Choose. He does not like neutral. He says to the church at Laodicea, I know your works are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He does not like neutral. I'm going to stop it there tonight, and uh, I'll finish this chapter next time. But um, let's just say the Lord's Prayer again, just kind of slowly and meditatively, and just... um, Maybe when St. Augustine says it's the whole scripture, it really is. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You just heard the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke chapter 11 on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.